Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, brought to you by BasketballNews.com. This is episode number 46. We're back to doing two episodes per week, so make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss any new episodes. Today, I'm joined by one of our writers at BasketballNews.com. He also runs our Twitter account. He does a fantastic job. We just got a chance to spend some time together out in Las Vegas at his uh, first time covering NBA Summer League. Ethan, how you doing? I am doing very well, Alex. How are you? Good. By the way, I didn't mention your full name, Ethan Fuller. Everyone, make sure you guys follow Ethan on social media. Check out his articles. He does a great job at Basketball News. Uh, this was your first time covering NBA Summer League. Each day, we got a chance to go over to Impact Basketball, where a bunch of NBA players work out in the summer. Uh, got to go to Thomas and Mac and cover some games. Uh, what was your first, what were your thoughts about your first time covering Summer League? Yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, everything that I kind of hoped it would be as far as just getting to ingrain myself in the community. It had, it had been such an odd experience for me being remote so much. So finally getting to just even see a lot of social media profiles as real people was amazing. And uh, of course, the basketball was really great. I think a lot of times when you're watching so much film and so many games on TV, you don't realize and or you get another chance to realize again in person just how incredible some of these athletes are. Um, so getting to see them in real life game action against other top NBA players to see all of that talent together was, was really cool too. So all in all, very fun first go around for me. Yeah. I didn't realize that uh, this is year 12 or year 13 for me until I was talking to Jake Fisher and he was talking about how we're kind of the old guys now uh, and that we're the double digits. So pretty crazy to hear that number, but uh, <laughs> it's always so much fun to just go out there and catch up with everyone. And I always love the little events that are kind of around summer league too. Like, you know, we went over to Impact Basketball every day. Uh, I went and stopped by the Pro Scout School and the Pro Trainer School. There was like a bunch of different... Oh, actually, we, we both did. That's the Pro Scout School. There's a bunch of these different events that kind of pop up around Summer League because the entire NBA is basically in one city. So it's always fun to kind of go to some of those things too. There was a couple of NBA Top Shot events I got to go to. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, Impact Basketball? Yeah, Impact was super cool just to see again i haven't gotten the chance to see a lot of this like nba workout style just environment and so to be right in there it's all it's all business with everyone over there of course um to see what it's like for players to go through the workout to see what it's like for trainers to kind of take them through the ropes and everything and of course i, I met a bunch of people who were there like us just to kind of watch and see what it's all about um impact was was very very cool i am so glad i got to do that i honestly that was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole summer league experience for me yeah, I always love going out there during free draft and seeing some of the incoming rookies that they're working with. And then during summer league, you never know who's going to walk in. Um, you did a great article about Impact's head of nutrition. You got quotes from Joe Abunasar, Josh Green, uh, Blake Wesley, basically talked about how Impact does a fantastic job kind of changing guys' bodies. And not only do they work with guys on the court, but also help them, you know, come up with these dietary plans and, and you know, track their biometrics and everything. Can you kind of uh, share some details about that article? Yeah, that that was a really cool article. I felt really fortunate to get to write that. We talked to Joe Bunasar, like you mentioned. I talked to Josh Green, talked to Blake Wesley. Isaac Morier is their director of sports nutrition and sports science there. Um, and that was all really cool to see a little bit behind the scenes of just how detailed it is. Um, Isaac was showing me kind of the infographics that he makes for each player that comes through. And they have dozens per pre-draft cycle of these NBA draft prospects that they're kind of bringing in trying to reinvent how they view their own approach towards nutrition, training, what it means to be a professional athlete. Um, and so I wrote about a lot of that. And the biggest takeaway for me is that 
once you hit this point where you're trying to go to the NBA or trying to go pro in some level, there really is no, you know, if you want to keep being a pro, you don't get a day off even from having a right diet. There's, there's no off days. There's no off weeks, even in the off season. Um, you have to be locked in to be successful and even just to stay afloat at this level. Uh, Josh Green was telling me about how he's going back to Australia for a couple of weeks. And obviously he hasn't been back in a while and wants to have all the local food and everything, but he can't because he really wants to be on top of his body and be in shape and hit the ground running for his next season. Um, Blake Wesley, similar situation. Isaac was telling me about how he really dedicated himself to a lot of the food and nutrition stuff. He would FaceTime Isaac while at Notre Dame, asking him about what kind of stuff he should eat at restaurants and grocery stores. And that really helped him kind of give himself the appeal for teams to ultimately make him a first round pick. And obviously he, he looked pretty good at summer league too. So just to see that type of dedication and the fact that it is constant and the amount of discipline that it requires was amazing. So I, I've really hoped that I captured that pretty well because it really inspired me. Steph Curry's record-breaking three-pointer, Jason Tatum's buzzer-beating alley-oop, John Morant's poster dunk, NBA Top Shot is where the greatest moments from NBA history are turned into officially licensed digital collectibles. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards and made it easier to buy, sell, and collect by removing the hassle of grading, shoeboxes, and shipping fees. You can buy or sell moments in a few clicks and access them at any time on your phone or computer. Your collection is always at your fingertips. Start collecting Top Shot moments in any way you want. Collect rookie moments from future stars like Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham, collect throwback moments from former NBA stars like Shaq and Allen Iverson, or collect moments from your favorite team to gain access to exclusive perks. Grab your starter pack today and Top Shot will give you $20 back to start your collection and pick up some of your favorite moments in the marketplace. Go to about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews and get in the game today. That's about.nbatopshot.com slash bballnews. I'm curious, you also did studs and duds articles every day looking at players that shined in summer league and players that maybe didn't perform as well as they had liked or they hoped. Uh, who were some of the guys throughout the entire summer league that kind of stood out to you? Uh, who impressed you the most? Yeah, um, writing those was really fun just because it, it felt like there was a not a new name, but a, a different name or two that would pop up almost every day. Um, it was really cool this year to see the ebbs and flows of, of different guys kind of understanding what's working at this semi-NBA-like environment and kind of where they would also struggle and hit walls. And it was really like a microcosm of going through all the ups and downs of learning in a single 11-day period. Um, I could name tons of standouts. There were a bunch. I guess, um, obviously, Keegan Murray off the top really broke out. And I obviously, he was a number four pick, but I think he opened a lot of eyes just with all the different stuff he was able to do on the ball, even a lot of stuff that we didn't see with him at Iowa. Uh, Trey Murphy, the third, came back in his second year. He looked really good. With the Pelicans, Quentin Grimes was awesome with the Knicks, just very consistently involved and consistently poised all summer league. Uh, Tari Eason, another just kind of not to overreact too much, but getting a little bit into the, oh man, is this guy going to be a steal at pick 17 type of thing? Um, and then I guess to throw in one more that I didn't think got quite the same recognition, but who I individually thought was very good was Zaire Williams on the Grizzlies in his second year. Uh, there was a game I watched where he handed out, I, th I think it was eight assists and I think and maybe a couple more that didn't end up getting scored. But his vision looked leaps and bounds above what we saw from his role with the Grizzlies last year. He was kind of more of an off-ball complimentary guy and 
putting him in the role where he was at in summer league, he really made a lot of plays and he looked really, really good. So I would just want to kind of give him extra props. Um, the Grizzlies summer league team in general, as you would kind of expect, was was really fun. Uh, so yeah, those are the immediate standouts for me. But there were there were so many fun guys to watch. Before we get to guys that struggled a bit, I'm based in Orlando here. So there's a lot of buzz about Paolo and just how he looked. Obviously, he got injured. And with Summer League, you're always going to be cautious. You don't want to push, especially a guy like that who's going to be the face of the franchise. They're, they don't want to, you know, uh, push him if he's injured. And, and they were definitely being cautious. We saw that with a lot of teams. But whenever he did play, he just looked so, so good out there. I mean, I'm excited for this Orlando team now to have, you know, two, six, ten, maybe six, eleven. Looking at Franz Wagner, he he looked much bigger uh, out there. Maybe maybe he grew a little bit. Um, I'm excited to see this team with these two tall creators, uh, playmakers. It's, it's gonna be a lot of fun. So, what did you think of Paolo? Because I know there's a lot of people in Orlando right now that are really excited about his performance and just uh, the potential that he you know has going forward. Yeah, he he was really awesome too. Um, I, all the top picks are really awesome, but as far as Bencaro goes, just. It wasn't perfect by any means, obviously, as a rookie, but you you just saw what he can be as a primary creator. The passing flashes, at least, were pretty unbelievable, uh, considering he didn't he wasn't really playing with a whole lot of advantage creators to the same level in this summer league environment. Um, he had a lot on his plate in the games that he played in, and for the most part, he did a really good job. Um, I think some of the summer league defenses really pressured him, trying to keep him from driving and helping at the nail and trying to force him to make decisions earlier. And expectedly, he was kind of working through a learning curve there. But all of the offensive half-court creation stuff was very cool. I think he was really good as a help defender too, um, which I would assume is kind of a better role for him, especially in Orlando when you have guys like Wendell Carter Jr. who are going to be taking on a lot of that front-court primary defensive responsibility. So it was, it was really cool not only to see him individually, but to just see so clearly if it clicks, and obviously it likely will, he's such a good fit around what a lot of the other pieces are in Orlando. Yeah, I think people were surprised initially that they went with him over Jabari Smith Jr. But I think uh, when you actually look at his fit alongside the current pieces, it makes sense and kind of what they're looking for. Um, and I know Magic fans are really excited about not only him, but just this young core in general. You know, it's been uh, some time now in Orlando where they haven't been really relevant and, you know, at, there hasn't been much fun basketball to kind of watch. So I know people here are pretty excited. Um, who were some players that maybe disappointed or didn't show as much as they needed to in your mind? Yeah, um, I would say uh, among the few, and obviously, again, like guys had ups and downs, but a couple that I don't want to say concern, but definitely makes me think a little bit more about how things are going to go for the next year. Um, Sharif Cooper with the Hawks um, really didn't have much going for him as a scorer at all. He he was swallowed up at the rim a lot. Um wasn't able to really create much space for himself. Shooting is still massive peaks and valleys with him. Um, the, pa the passing there, he's still a very, very good passer, of course, but I was a little underwhelmed, especially after a great summer league last year and a really great G League season. Um, he, he didn't really show me a lot of what I expected. Uh, Johnny Davis, a number 10 overall pick to the Wizards. Similar concerns, just kind of struggling to create his own shot. Um, there were, again, really bright moments for him. And I know he's also a very high-level defender too. So he's not going to have this type of pressure to create his own shot all the time, especially on the Wizards with a guy like Bradley Beal. But still still a little bit disappointing from that aspect. And I guess with Orlando too, RJ Hampton didn't have a great summer league. Um, again, another kind of similar situation where it felt like he was 
taking a lot of possessions and not really able to get much for himself or get much for his teammates in that respect. But again, all the, all those guys, they're in their first, second or third years. Um, there's, there's plenty of time. So even though, even though I listed three guys, I just caution, do not overreact from a poor summer league. Um, you can critique someone's individual performance and say, Hey, I wonder how this looks at the NBA level, but don't, don't go call anyone a bust yet by any stretch. This podcast is brought to you by Branded Bills, the best place online for premium headwear and apparel. Branded Bills has hundreds of designs available, including their popular state collection, where you can show your pride with hats, shirts, hoodies, and more for all 50 states. Are you a company looking to brand your business? Branded Bills also offers custom apparel options that can meet your brand standards with fast turnaround and shipping. To shop or learn more, visit brandedbills.com today. That's brandedbills.com. Yeah, I'm glad you added that caveat because someone like RJ Hampton too, you know, it is frustrating for him, I'm sure, because he volunteered to play as a third-year player and then, you know, didn't dominate the way he probably hoped. Uh, when you're in that position, you've been in the NBA for a few years. I know teams typically want to see you play really well and kind of uh, show your development. But you have to remember too, he's 21 years old. So he's younger than some incoming rookies. He just entered the NBA at a very young age too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely... Curious to see what kind of happens with his development. And, and you're right. Even if guys struggle in summer league, at the end of the day, it is summer league. They can always turn it around. But I do agree with those names. Um, you also wrote some great articles for Basketball News recently about the Boston Celtics recent additions with Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Danilo Gallinari. Can you kind of break down what you think of Boston's moves and how those pieces fit with their current core? Yeah. Um, I am a big fan of those moves. One, because they... They felt extremely effective given what the Celtics sent out. Um, Brogdon is a maybe a tier or two below sub all star level when he's really clicking. That's the kind of player he is. And you didn't really trade anyone in the rotation outside of Daniel Tice, who was on that line anyway. And Brogdon's been pretty clear, like he's happy to play a six man role on this team. So you didn't really change too much from a starting lineup that looked really, really good, especially when they were working towards the end of last year. Um, so, so starting with Brogdon, it makes a whole ton of sense just because of the way he can drive the basketball and finish at the rim and create a driving chance himself and not turn the ball over and for the most part, make the right play. Um, so if you're bringing that guy off the bench when a lot of times we were kind of wondering what happens when Tatum and Brown aren't driving, Derek White can be good, Marcus Smart can be good, but now you have a, another guy in Brogdon who you know can get downhill almost whenever he wants just with how shifty he is, how precise he is with his movements, how strong he is with his body. Um, so I really like that. And plus, he's he's a solid plus level defender. So you add that into a very good defense. You're not sacrificing anything there. Um, so so Brogdon's a great fit, especially for a starting caliber guy to come off the bench. Um, and then as far as Gallinari goes, I think I'm actually much higher and at the same time, much more. I have much more questions about the risk. I, I'm much more extreme about this signing than I think a lot of other Boston fans have been. I think... Gallinari on offense is such a huge boost for some of the other Celtics creators. Um, he, in this article, I won't spit numbers out, but basically he draws so much more defensive attention than any other complimentary guy on the Celtics. And there are numbers from the regular season and postseason to kind of back that up. Plus, he's a very good three-point shooter. And so it's much more than, hey, we just went out and got a shooter. It'll work. It's whatever. Gallinari specifically is very good above the break. You can put him one pass away from Tatum or Brown or Smart or Brogdon or White or whoever is going to be driving. And the defense has to 
take a split second to think, do, do I want to help out the nail on these drives? Do I want to give Gallinari that open space as a proven shooter? Um, it's going to be a tough decision for defenses to make. And then that makes things easier for Tatum and Brown, who we saw the Warriors in the finals really keyed in on a lot of their drives. Um, and then the flip side of that, the defense is very concerning, I'll say, um, especially given that he is getting older and not a natural vertical athlete or mobile athlete to begin with. Um, he try, he tries really hard. He is a strong human being, but he just does not have much functional movement vertically. He can't block shots. There's, there's a problem to the extent that if he's not shooting well and he's defending really badly, he could easily not be in the rotation. Um, I I think that's very, very possible to a level that might not be talked about enough. Um, so the ceiling and floor are very high and very low with Gallinari. The plus side is you use your mid-level exception, which is the best you can do and also doesn't really hurt you long-term. It's not like you committed a bunch of money to him or anything. So it's a, it's a good way to use that kind of space on your cap sheet. Um, it's just, it's not an immediate, oh, Gallinari is going to click. We know this. Um, it's more of a very high upside. Downside is low, but it's not like it costs you that much. So that that's how I feel about the Gallinari signing. No, those are great breakdowns. And I agree with you. I think given kind of the cost and, and what they had to give up in, in the case of Brogdon, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, from that perspective, the Brogdon one especially, it just seems like it's really low risk, high reward. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, Gallinari, there, there could be some issues there. But to your point, it's not like they're paying him a ton of money. They didn't really give up anything. So um, I like these additions a lot. And I'm someone that whenever Brad Stevens made the move over from, you know, coach to the front office, I was questioning it. I'm thinking this guy doesn't have experience in this role. You know, he's one of the better coaches in the league. Does it really make sense to do this? Uh, but he's been fantastic. I've been blown away by just the job that he's done in that executive role. I mean, not even just this offseason, but, you know, from coaching hires to player movement uh, to moves he didn't make. I mean, remember, there was a time when everyone's kind of talking about breaking up this core in Boston. Like, oh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can't play together. Uh, I mean, from trades to signings to coaching hires, he's just been nailing it. So what are your thoughts on kind of what we've seen from Brad Stevens since, since to go over this role? Yeah, I think um, without making sure I skip any kind of minor move that he's made, I think anything that he has done that has been significant, he has pretty much rocked, including the stuff that he has not done. Like you yeah. said, breaking up the duo. Um, obviously, given the ups and downs, there are plenty of people wanting to trade Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart goes on and is the first defensive player of the year at the guard position in 25 years and also was a very, very good offensive point guard. And I think a lot of people do realize that at this point, even if it didn't look great in the finals at times, um, that the starting point guard was right there and Brad Stevens knew it and he stuck with smart and it looked really good. And even a lot of the quote unquote bigger moves, they weren't star type swings that we would always hear about with Danny Age, the almost they almost traded four picks to go get a star or they almost yeah. made this massive move. It was just like very targeted for needs. Getting Derek White was not some crazy splash, but when we did the trade deadline show, everyone applauded it because it fit a very specific need on the Celtics for a quick decision maker plus defender and attacking presence. And it was just a very obvious, this makes sense type of move. These latest two are very obvious, this makes sense type of moves. Um, so it's, it's good to see... Not not that Danny Ainge was irrational by any means. He made a lot of great moves as GM, but it's good to it's cool to see how very specific and detailed these fits are. And obviously, a lot of thought has gone into them. Um, 
it's it's been great. I've so far have been very impressed by the role he's done at GM. If he's already this good, I'm excited to see what he can do down the road too. When uh, you know, I think it's the first year is always the hardest when you're kind of changing over and transitioning to that new role. So for him to do that, uh, it's been been so impressive. Um, I'm curious, is Boston? I mean, based on what we saw during the playoffs, they looked fantastic in the second half of the season. They made the finals, obviously. Now to have this kind of offseason where you're making big moves too, are they your favorite in Eastern Conference entering next season? What are your expectations for Boston? Um, well, the expectation, if you're going to look at it from a team perspective, the expectation at this point is a title. You were two games short. You just added two very much win-now pieces. Tatum and Brown should get better. A couple of your other young guys should get better. The expectation is a title for sure. As far as picture in the East and larger NBA, I still think... There are a lot of teams that could be at that level. Um, and I, I don't want to say that as I'm discounting the moves that Boston's made. I think they very much are a front runner. I don't know if I could pick a single favorite in the league or even in the East. I think I'm I'm still going to consistently be extremely high on Milwaukee just because Giannis is there. Um, they didn't have Middleton. Not that that excuses them losing, but they didn't have Middleton. That's another piece they're getting back. Milwaukee is just a very rock solid team. You know what the players are there. They're going to be tough every time. Uh, Gold, same in Golden State too, in a lot of similar respects. Obviously, the defending champs. Um, you, Phoenix, there's a lot of uncertainty, but at least you know on some level there is a proven collection of talent that went out and was the number one seed in the West and almost won the NBA Finals two years ago. Um, the, and Philly. I would say Philly's right up there. Miami's right up there. They took Boston seven games. I think... To, to try and establish more of a take, I would probably put Boston, Milwaukee, and Golden State as my top tier of title favorites. Um, that's, that's where I would be right now, and you can kind of order them however you want. Thanks to Yerbe for sponsoring this episode. Yerbe is a naturally caffeinated energy drink that's made exclusively with recognizable plant-based ingredients. There's no sugar, calories, or sucralose, so you can feel great about what you're drinking. Get the energy you need without the jitters or crash. Check out yerbe.com for 10% off. That's yerbe.com for 10% off. It's funny because this is usually a time of year where, you know, summer league's over, most of the signings have happened, and it's kind of like the dead period of the NBA offseason, but this year is pretty unique in that we still have the Kevin Durant situation looming. Uh, we kind of expect maybe Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook to potentially be moved at some point. Donovan Mitchell is out there and there's a bunch of rumors about, you know, could they move him in the coming days, coming weeks? Um, so it's kind of still an interesting time of year, despite uh, the fact that it's late July, early August. Usually this is kind of the dog days of the summer. Um, let's kind of break down some of the situations. When you look at the Kevin Durant situation, it seems like, and potentially with Kyrie too, that the Nets are going to start the season with both these guys on their roster. Um, I've talked to some executives and they feel like that's probably the case that we go into the season with these guys uh, in Brooklyn and then potentially they get moved during the season. Uh, when you look at the situation, are you still thinking Phoenix could be the top destination for him? Uh, do you think Toronto or some other team could kind of sneak in and uh, potentially land him? Like, What are your thoughts on this KD situation as a whole? I think, well, to start, like you said, I think the most most likely scenario, at least short term, is that he and Kyrie Irving are both on the Nets roster, whether that means they're playing or not by the opening night. Um, as far as if slash when Durant gets moved, I still think Phoenix is the most likely destination just speculating because um, especially 
now that they've brought DeAndre Ayton back, I think at a certain point, teams have to realize that DeAndre Ayton is a very, very good player who is still, regardless of whether they think he's worth max contract, probably one of the best available young players to trade for. And I can't really convince a front office like that, but I hope someone out there is listening because DeAndre Ayton is very good. And you have Mikhail Bridges as an option, uh, Cam Cam Johnson, and they, and they have some picks too. So I think if this drags on enough, the Nets probably can realize at some point, like you're not going to do any better than this. You're getting three young pieces who have already proven they can be part of a championship caliber team or get close to it. Um, so I think the deal still is the one out there that's been in their own discussion that makes the most sense to me. Um, Toronto, I would probably put second. I feel like there's less pressure on the Raptors to make this type of move because they have kind of rebuilt on the fly and did a really great job last season. Um, Scotty Barnes coming off a rookie of the year campaign. They have a lot of pieces around that still make sense. Um, so I I don't think there's as much pressure on them to go out and get te- Kevin Durant. And obviously it's Kevin Durant. Like you, you try and trade for Kevin Durant, but I don't think they're in the same boat as Phoenix. And Miami is still going to be in the conversation for Durant, but I just don't know, especially with the whole designated rookie extension thing with Bam Adebayo and Ben Simmons. I just don't know how they beat out Phoenix or Toronto or even some other teams that jump in there for a trade. So I'm pretty doubtful on Miami. I would consider Phoenix and Toronto the two front runners for Durant. But again, like it's it's been pretty quiet on that front the last week or two. So who knows where teams are at with him. That The fact that a player of that magnitude is out there is probably just so stunning to a lot of teams. They don't even know where to start with a lot of trade discussions. Yeah, you know, I think he'll still be in Brooklyn when the season starts. I think Kyrie probably will also be in Brooklyn when the season starts. It sounds like that's kind of the expectation among some executives I've talked to. So uh, that seems to be, you know, kind of the case as of right now. And then I think Toronto is definitely a team to watch, though, because while Phoenix, apparently, you know, Let's take the reports at, at their word and say that the Nets aren't interested in DeAndre and, you know, they weren't able to find a sign and trade or anything like that that could help their KD push. So if that's true and there's not interest in Aiden, then I think the Suns' offer could potentially be worse than Toronto's offer. It just depends what Toronto's willing to give up. That's what it comes down to. Like, if the Raptors are willing to, you know, include a Pascal Siakam or a Scotty Barnes, which, you know, reports have indicated they're not, but unlike Phoenix, Toronto can keep improving their offer and then eventually, you know, get the Nets to budge, I think. Uh, so I think it just depends, again, what Masai and company are willing to actually part ways with. But I think Toronto's team to watch. I know there's been a lot of talk about, oh, KD wants to be in Phoenix. That's his top team. But I think what it comes down to is, you know, Sean Marks is going to take the deal and the offer that's, you know, the best for the Brooklyn Nets. And there's people that are thinking, oh, he's not going to want to go play in Canada. You know, he'll be unhappy there. First of all, he has four years left on his contract. So it's not like you have to worry about him leaving as a free agent. Second of all, there was a quote that I saw. No one's really talking about this, but uh, Katie said years ago, I think this was like back in 2013 on the Dan Patrick show, that he always wanted to play for the Toronto Raptors. He grew up a Raptors fan because of Vince Carter. And like growing up, his team that he always wanted to be on was the Raptors. So like... You're saying... Yeah, no one's talking about that quote. And granted, you know, that's when he was a kid and, uh, you know, when he was daydreaming about that, basically. And it was 2013 when he said that comment, but he was asked what team you always want to play for, and it was Toronto. So I don't think KD would be miserable in Toronto, especially because he'd still have talented pieces around him. 
you know, he'd have a, a team that's a contender, um, depending on how much Toronto gives up, you know, to, to land him. But I don't know. I think there's a, I think Toronto is a dark horse to watch here. I would not be surprised if he ends up playing for the Raptors. That's mm-hmm. my, my take. Uh, you know, Phoenix is definitely the front runner, it seems, based on everything that's out there. But when I look at just what the, what's out there as far as the offers and how this is playing out, I think the Raptors become very interesting. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And obviously, like, with, with a lot of what's gone on social media, there's become this narrative that Toronto is, like, not an attractive place to be. And, and obviously, like, it's not going to have the same polls in New York or LA, but it's, one, it's a fantastic city. Two, they've played playoff caliber basketball for a very long time now. Um, and three, even if you're sending out whatever assets to get KD, you're still going to have a pretty good to great team around him and right. Kevin Durant. They're going to be a good team. So I definitely agree with you on a lot of those points. And yeah, it just comes down to what the two sides are willing to part with. And it does help Toronto. I feel like they can mix and match more, kind of kind of like what you said. They can mix and match more what they're willing to give away. With Phoenix, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson picks are kind of a must include. And Toronto, you can at least on some of the smaller pieces, kind of move around based on what Brooklyn likes and then see where they're at with some of the bigger players. But yeah, I, I totally get that. I also think if it, if it comes down to a three or four team deal or something like that, I, I think the Raptors can get a bit more creative. Yeah. And I trust Masai to be able to pull together some crazy three team deal, four team deal. That's kind of what he does. I'll, you know, speaking of Masai, I think the fact that uh, players respect him a lot, you know, he's known as one of, if not the best executive in the NBA. Um, he's found so many, you know, diamond in the rough type players that even if he does send out one extra piece, uh, I, I think there's the belief among players, especially that's like, okay, well, he can still go find talent to put around me elsewhere, you know, and mm-hmm. and you feel like you're in good hands when you're on Masai's team. So, yeah, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. You know, who knows what the time frame is, uh, the timeline, you know, is it trade deadline? I don't know. I'm sure in Sean Mark's mind, there's still like a little glimmer of, oh, we can salvage this and maybe we win some games. Maybe TJ Warren looks good. And then, you know, maybe Katie changes his mind. I'm sure there's a little bit of that still in Brooklyn's mind. You know, they're probably hoping that they can potentially keep this team together. But I'm curious what the time frame looks like. The other name that's out there is Donovan Mitchell. And there was the report a few days ago that uh, a deal with the Knicks almost got done. And now, uh, according to recent reports, Nothing is imminent. I think the two sides are still talking, but um, what are your thoughts on that whole situation? And do you think we see Donovan Mitchell traded before the season starts? Yeah, this one I actually, again, just speculating, feel is much more likely. One, just because we've gotten a lot of recent reports and they've been centered around a single team in the the Knicks. Um, I think that's interesting just as far as reading tea leaves and stuff. But I think it's more likely... One, because we we saw the Knicks at Jalen Brunson. It kind of makes sense for them to kind of push the chips in. Two, Danny Ainge has already traded Rudy Gobert. It just kind of looks like a rebuild would make sense. And obviously, Donovan Mitchell's only 25. It's not like it's not like this is a team well past its window or anything. But it, it kind of makes a lot of things line up where this makes sense for it to happen. I, I think it was Mark Stein that reported recently that the, the draft picks are obviously one point of contention between the two teams right now, whether it's four or five or closer to seven. Um, that is obviously a big hurdle. And we know Danny Age's reputation with the draft picks. Um, but I think it's not that easy. I, I don't think it's, hey, 
let me give you seven draft picks, take the players to match salary and we'll just get it done. I think the Jazz will and should want some solid rotation or young talent players to go with that, um, which again makes it interesting because the Knicks have a pretty solid group of young, interesting players to include in the trade. But um, I think it makes sense for the Knicks to go out and get Donovan Mitchell as a 25-year-old top 25 player, 25-point-per-game scorer. It still, regardless of where you stand on Donovan Mitchell, makes sense for practically any team in the league to go out and make a move for him. Obviously not on the same level of Kevin Durant, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Donovan Mitchell is a very good basketball player. Um, and for the Jazz, especially after you traded Rudy Gobert, and you have kind of an aging team outside of Donovan Mitchell, it makes a lot of sense to start to think about the future and the fact that Utah feels like it's losing ground in the Western Conference race. Um, so yeah, I, I think this deal is much more likely to happen before the season starts. Yeah, I think it makes sense for both sides too. The Knicks have obviously wanted to land a star player for for quite some time now. Um, I think if it, the one thing to keep an eye on here though is if you're in New York, you don't want to bid against yourself. Like, they, that offer that was kind of leaked out there uh, that the two sides are discussing, it is quite a bit to give up. And we don't, mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's with Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks or um, like the Lakers with Kyrie Irving, if there's not a ton of interest elsewhere, I mean, I'm cl- clearly there's going to be other interest in Donovan Mitchell, but teams out there like Miami, they can't touch New York's offer, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think that's where it becomes, okay, well, do we want to keep improving this offer and giving more and more uh, or are we bidding against ourselves at that point? Like, who who can really top this offer that's on the table? I think you have to definitely look at that. Um, so I'm very curious to see what ends up happening here. Um, you know, I still think he probably ends up with the Knicks. Uh, and then that seems like a win for both sides. But if Utah is expecting them to keep improving that offer and getting more and more out of uh, New York, I'm not really sure what more they can give yeah. up because that seemed like quite a bit. Yeah, it definitely it definitely is a lot. Like six, six draft picks, if it's in that ballpark, is is pretty insane just to think about giving up. So yeah, it's a lot. Danny Ainge, man. He's going to have a real <laughs> day with those picks. We're going to hear about so many almost trades coming up. I know it's coming. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you joining me to break this stuff down. Again, it's it's a fun time to be an NBA fan. You know, even though Summer League's over, free agency's dying down, we still have so much to talk about with KD, Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook. I mean, all this stuff's still out there. So... Uh, and then still, like guys like Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, they're being mentioned as possible trade candidates too. So uh, there's really no NBA offseason. Uh, yeah. You know, there's always stuff going on in the NBA. So I appreciate you joining me. And uh, everyone, make sure you guys check out Ethan's articles. He had a great piece on Blake Wesley, uh, a great piece on impact basketball and how sports nutrition is evolving NBA training. Uh, again, his great coverage of NBA Summer League. Ethan, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on. This is fun. If you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And until next time, thanks for tuning in.